the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a very pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome to this Tuesday, October the 17th edition of Lifeline. I am Craig Roberts, and we're off to another exciting week here. If you have not been paying attention to the news, let me update you. Uh, there is now an SOS alert that has been released for the San Francisco Bay Area that in addition to the fires to the north of which, the majority of which are about 50% contained, we now have new fires burning to the south in the Santa Cruz Mountains. There had also been a fire today in the Dublin area as well as in Salcedo along the Marin County for a while in the 101 area in Salcedo. In fact, CHP even had that closed down. We're going to keep you on top of traffic reports throughout today's broadcast, so try to help you at least avoid some of the more difficult spots. The events of the last week, and turning back the clock 28 years ago, precisely to this moment, at approximately 5.05 on October the 17th of 1989, California suffered its last major historical disaster, and that, of course, was the Loma Prieta earthquake. Ironically, that which is so much of the magnet that draws fully 10% of the U.S. population, figure there are 50 states, 10% of people choose to live in just one of them, the state of California. And what makes our state so incredibly beautiful is also what makes our state so incredibly dangerous between the potentiality of wildfires and earthquakes. On the one-year anniversary of the Loma Prieta earthquake, we sat down to take a look at the events that had transpired, the tragic loss of life, and warn people about the very real and present danger of earthquakes. And while our minds these days are focused on another type of disaster, I think it's important for all of us to be mindful, be aware, and best of all, be prepared. As you listen to this vintage broadcast from 27 years ago, my voice sounds a little bit higher pitched, and that's because it is. Back in those days, I was young, thin, and handsome. Well, today, at least I'm still handsome. <laughs> Jarrell is shaking his head, though. Let's give a listen to that broadcast as we mark today the 28th anniversary of the Loma Prieta earthquake. October the 17th of 1989. The date was Tuesday, October 17th, 1989. The place, San Francisco, California. The weather around the Bay Area that autumn afternoon was beautiful. 85 degrees in the city, not a cloud in the sky. And at about 5 p.m. that day, everyone knew something exciting was about to happen. Game 3 of the World Series, the Battle of the Bay the American League champion Oakland A's against the National League San Francisco Giants. From the stretch, the one-two pitch. Swing and a Messi struck him out with a breaking ball. And though our thoughts were on baseball... At the tone, Pacific Daylight Time will be 5-4 exactly. 
At second base, so the Oakland A's take take. has collapsed. The 50-foot section of the upper deck uh, falling onto the lower deck. Uh, there is no traffic going across the In fact, the more serious than we first thought. We have reports that the Cypress structure in Oakland is down. No count on how many are trapped. Wilson out at SFO is indicating that the tower at SFO is in complete shambles and the computers are all out. Good afternoon. I'm Craig Roberts. And I'm Diane Price. Since the mid-1850s, science has recognized the Bay Area as one of the most seismically active regions in the Western Hemisphere. To live in California is to live with earthquakes. The same geological forces that created our state's unsurpassed beauty, such as the stately Sierra Nevada, the wonder of Yosemite Valley, or the glistening sweep of San Francisco Bay, have also left California stitched with underground faults. The most infamous of these fault lines, the San Andreas, first received notoriety clear back in 1906. Since that time, scientists have repeatedly warned that another major quake, like the one that destroyed San Francisco in 06, was due along the San Andreas Fault once again. But unlike other natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, and the like, earthquakes come without warning. And such was the case on that fateful Tuesday afternoon of October 17, 1989. On that date, at 5.04 p.m., as Candlestick Park filled for Game 3 of the World Series, the San Andreas Fault shifted. The friction point, 11 miles beneath the Earth's surface in Santa Cruz County, caused the Pacific Plate to move 5.5 feet north, while the North American Plate shifted south. The whole event lasted just 15 seconds, but in its wake left a 100-mile path of misery and destruction unmatched in California for over 83 years. During the next hour, we'll bring to you the sounds and the harrowing stories of the quake of 89, as captured by the KFAX microphones. It's to those whose stories we tell, stories of heroism, sacrifice, and loss, that we dedicate this program. We're here at the UC Berkeley Seismology Station where they reported the strong earthquake at exactly 5.04 p.m. They have determined that the epicenter was exactly 10 miles northeast of Santa Cruz, 20 miles south of San Jose. That it is, in fact, a 7.0 on the Richter scale. I was in Candlestick Park. We've gotten there a little early. We're uh, sitting in a box and uh, waiting for the game to start, noticing the people coming on the field, and all of a sudden it... Uh, it, it really felt like uh, being on a platform of a, of a railroad station or a subway when the train rolls by and it just began swaying very close, my wife says, very close. It uh, began jiggling. I realized fairly quickly that we were in an earthquake. And my immediate reaction was to check around the stability of the, of the, of the structure of the Just taking a look to see whether it looked like it was beginning to crack up. I noticed people in the in the portable stands uh, in the right field section. Suddenly began, several people had gotten into the aisle and were running down the aisle. I suspect that portable stand was shaking violently. But uh, then it passed, and then, of course, we started having the aftershocks. We would like you to leave in an orderly way. I don't believe there's any great danger, but we have no idea when the power is going to be on, and we have to get people out of here before it gets dark. 
please leave. The game has been postponed. There'll be no baseball tonight. I was downtown in the financial district, but my fiance was home, and he was walking down the steps, and he made it to the middle of the street and literally saw the building come down in front of him. Um, I'm just glad we're alive, but there's nothing there. Everything's gone. As the dust began to settle, it could be seen everywhere, from the war zone of the wealthy Marina District of San Francisco to the shambles of blue-collar Watsonville. The earthquake had taken its toll. We have a lot of down buildings. We're looking at three-story uh, buildings such as this one and this one here that are now one story. I have no idea how many people inside. Considering it being 5.15 at night, I would think that probably a majority of the people on their way home haven't gotten home yet, okay? Attention, this is the Sheriff's Department. Many buildings are structurally unsound and subject to falling. You are to leave the area immediately. Please do not cross the barricades that have been put up. If you're not a business owner or the holder of a media press card, you do not belong in the area. Many buildings are structurally unsound and subject to falling. You are to leave the area immediately. Within 15 seconds, the shaking had stopped. But 67 people lay dead or dying. Some 4,000 others required medical attention. The seismic waves had damaged more than 25,000 homes and apartment buildings, as well as nearly 5,000 businesses. At least 1,000 structures faced demolition. And for the time being, we waited in fear. I spoke earlier today with the director of the Tenderloin Redevelopment Project, which is a low-income housing organization in the city of San Francisco. They indicated that in the Tenderloin section of San Francisco, uh, down near the Civic Center in City Hall, about 450 people have been displaced, primarily due to, uh, again, no electricity. Many of these people, of course, are elderly or handicapped and are unable to get into the apartment buildings because of no elevator service. Prepare yourselves. Shut off the gas. Shut off electricity. Store water in your bathtub. Don't expect services for 72 hours. Okay? Prepare yourself for nightfall. You have about one hour of light left. Prepare for aftershocks. Make sure your building is sound enough to go back inside. For those who had battery-operated radios, the story of destruction began to unfold. Across the bay in Oakland, dozens died instantly, while others suffocated beneath the cascade of broken concrete that had been the cypress structure of the Nimitz Freeway. We interrupt this program for a special report. Crews and bystanders worked nonstop today trying to extricate motorists caught under tons of twisted metal and concrete that was once an elevated highway. Officials fear 200 people were killed in the collapse. Screams and the crash of metal brought bystanders to the disaster on Interstate 880. Company right across the street had some, uh, some extension ladders. We went over there, climbed the fence, got the ladders, flew them back over the fence, and that's how we uh, got up on top of the freeway because the fire department was not here. Uh, no one was here but us. We was coming over this over-ramp right here coming off the bridge, and we just stopped. And I could, all I could say is, I don't believe it. I don't believe it, you know. And we all jumped out of our cars and said, we got to help somebody, help somebody. I saw people on the top over there trying to jump off, you know, trying to get away because um, they was told there was some cars on fire. And uh, the one guy we helped, I told him, I said, you know, you made it. And he looked at him, I said, you know, you made it. I don't think if we didn't come over that bridge and just didn't care about what's happening here, you know, a whole lot of people probably would have died up there. 
We have three vehicles that are up there. Two of them are totally collapsed. One vehicle, it looks like the driver and another occupant were uh, smashed by the collapse. Two young children were in the back seat. We've been trying to rescue them for the last two hours. We did get one child out about 45 minutes ago. We've been working for the last 45 minutes trying to free the other child. Um, it's, it's real total chaos right now. It's going to take days, if not weeks, just to find whatever survivors and other victims there are in there. Toiling through one of the most torturous rescues that first night, Dr. James Betts worked for more than three hours to free six-year-old Julio Baruman. His sister Kathy, found seriously injured, could be pried from the car. His mother and a family friend were not so lucky. Tuesday afternoon, about 5.04, Julio, a little six-year-old boy, Julio Baruman, and his sister Kathy, eight years old, were driving along with their mother and another passenger on the I-880 infrastructure when that terrible earthquake hit. Julio's mother was killed instantly, officials say, but little Julio was trapped inside with his sister. His sister was pulled free, but in order to get to little Julio, they had to cut through his mother, through the car, and they had doctors had to actually amputate one of his legs in the car before they were able to pull him out. Well, right now, Julio Baruman and his sister Kathy are in fair condition at Children's Hospital in Oakland. And as you say, we have been following this story. We have gotten calls literally from all across the United States, radio stations wanting to know how Julio and his sister are doing, wanting to send some type of help. Meanwhile, the Bay Bridge, vital traffic link between San Francisco and Oakland, carrying some 300,000 cars daily, lost 50 feet of its upper deck. Visualize the bridge caving in, and it kept coming closer and closer to me, but still I knew all I could do was run, and all I could depend on was my legs, so I just kept running, and everybody else kept running. I died back on the bridge. I don't know what I'm going to do. I figure at some point something's going to happen where I'll have a chance to do good, and I'll say, this is what this was all about. This is why I'm still here. There was a lot of us that didn't feel the earthquake. That we didn't even know what happened. There was a lot there. The only thing was that when the people that were very, very in front, they kept coming back and hitting the cars, get out, get out. There's been, the bridge has collapsed. There's an earthquake. So that's when we started to get out. But a lot of people didn't realize that. And to the south, nearest the epicenter of the quake, the serenity of Santa Cruz that has attracted thousands had been broken. In the heart of town, piles of rubble and teetering walls wrote an epitaph for the Pacific Garden Mall, once the heart of city commerce and pride. Glenn, we've just received word of major damage taking place down south in Santa Cruz County. In the city of Santa Cruz, Ford's department store, the second floor of the building collapsing onto the first floor, trapping shoppers and causing havoc. The Pacific Garden Mall, a major attraction not only for tourists, but also a major shopping hub for local residents, suffering extreme damage, quite a number of brick buildings collapsing in on themselves, hundreds of people trapped, extensive amounts of injuries, police and fire departments have cordoned off the area, and rescue attempts are underway right now. We'll give you an update just as soon as further word comes into our newsroom. By looking at the, the damage and the fire and all the destruction in the area, uh, it's just amazing that there wasn't more loss of life. Turning again northward, a huge column of smoke rose above the marina district. It was a grim reminder of 1906. Surveying the damage by helicopter, the mayor returns with his report. Well, the city seems in reasonably good shape. Uh, the lights are out in most of the city, although the emergency light seems to be on in those areas like hospitals and those kinds of facilities. 
the, the, the most serious problem we could see from the air is a tremendous traffic jam, uh, mainly in those areas trying to leave the city. We have no reports of any disorder at this time. Everybody is are being good citizens, which is uh, something we would expect to see. What is there in the marinas, all right? The, the fire in the marina is under control. It's dying down right now. The biggest problem I could see from the air, as I said, is uh, tremendous traffic problems. Our fire stations are up and running. We've just put out a major fire. There are no others in the city. So things are under control. And by nightfall, most of the city had been plunged into darkness. It's an eerie sight to behold. The city bathed in darkness, like a huge sleeping giant. The streets through most of the city lie still. The silence broken only by an occasional passing police car watching for looters or fire trucks on patrol checking for gas leaks. Although the most dramatic damage seems limited to the Marina District and 6th and Townsend, signs of today's tremor can be seen everywhere. Cornices torn from buildings, bricks strewn on sidewalks south of Market Street, families camping outside for tonight, afraid of more aftershocks. And in the distance, the glow of emergency spotlights for the search for possible victims continues. From San Francisco, Craig Roberts, KFAX. With the collapse of the Cypress structure portion of the Nimitz Freeway, the failure of the Bay Bridge, and other thoroughfares in question, the Bay Area faced its worst traffic jam ever. Bay Bridge and also the Richmond and Dumbarton Bridge. The Bay Bridge, as you know, if I'm seeing news reports, has been closed and will be closed for uh, several weeks to come, probably. The San Mateo Bridge has suffered some damage. It was open for a while this morning. This afternoon, they did close it down uh, to send some trucks out there to see what damage was sustained. Last reports we had about half an hour ago, the San Mateo Bridge had been reopened. That's the latest word we have right now, Michael. Loma Prieta, a look back. A KFAX special report continues after this. As dawn broke on the bay, we breathed a collective sigh of relief and realized, for the most part, we had survived. And the grim story of the toll the quake would have on the Bay Area was beginning to unfold. Is what's going on right now is they're uh, assessing the uh, damage to all the bridges and all the roads. Uh, they're checking all the structures that have been damaged and uh, making sure that the people can that uh, want to get back into their homes can get back into their homes and they're not going to be allowed back in until they're checked. Uh, there's, of course, there's work still going on on the uh, 880 collapsed, uh, trying to, uh, you know, get the rest of the vehicles and uh, people out of there that were crushed underneath the bridge. And uh, there's work being done on the Bay Bridge, uh, but it's going to be a good probably three weeks at minimum before the Bay Bridge is even operational again. That is Dan Boom with the Office of Emergency Services in Sacramento. And Dan says at this hour, the OES estimates the damage to the Bay Area at $2.8 billion, and that number is bound to uh, keep rising in the next few days. Water, which had become so scarce in drought-stricken California, became still more precious. 
The water situation isn't that bad. However, the marina section of San Francisco sustained quite heavy damage, and as a result of broken water mains, uh, they ended up having to pump water out of the bay to help fight the fire that uh, essentially wiped out about three square city blocks uh, of the marina district. Janine? The epicenter was about 10 miles northeast of Santa Cruz. The Santa Cruz area and Los Gatos area are under water rationing right now. They um, are advising residents to boil their water if possible for an average of three to five minutes and let that cool and use that as drinking water or drinking water in their water heaters. Um, they do not have a whole lot of water supply down there on hand right now. Um, different companies are bringing in bottled water as um, soon as possible. So the water situation near the epicenter is not good at this time. Electrical power, so urgently needed to assist in rescue efforts, was still off. And before it was over, much of San Francisco would spend several nights under a blanket of darkness. Well, after I left the studio here last night, I made my way up to the, the uh, San Francisco area. Uh, normally, no matter what the day or time of night, uh, the freeway always has dozens of cars on it. Uh, the approach into San Francisco, I was the only car heading up into the city. As of this hour, uh, still approximately three-quarters of the city of San Francisco has no electricity. Uh, that, in part, is due to the uh, damage sustained by two major power stations. And in addition to that, of course, many of the older homes in San Francisco have the old gas pipes back in the days when they used gas for light. And uh, quite frankly, PG&E, the Pacific Gas and Electric Company, is fearful of the possibility of explosions if they turn the electricity on right away and of course the building inspection department is just really overwhelmed in trying to investigate each building one by one to determine the kind of damage they may have sustained uh, to their both electrical and gas systems. In terms of the the atmosphere in this city you know times previous we've had earthquakes and it's almost been kind of a carnival feeling. This we find to be very sullen, very quiet. There has been some looting taking place in downtown San Francisco, particularly last night with all the electricity out. Uh, again, almost three quarters of the city of San Francisco, even as we speak, uh, almost 24 hours after the fact, still without any electricity. In the first days following the quake, most of Northern California's energy would focus on those still trapped in the rubble. We had one of our um, staff members, Rosa Kelman, down there just um, just hours ago, and she said that it looks like a pancake. They are rescue crews are trying to get the bodies out of there right now. Early estimates revealed they thought maybe uh, close to 200 people were trapped under there. That is on an estimate count of 150 to 200 cars with an average of one person per car. So figures have been fluctuating all day long. What they were afraid to do during the dark hours last night was to have emergency crews out on that structure trying to pull um, bodies out of there. They were afraid of any aftershocks causing further damage. So there are rescue crews out there at this time. They are still trying to figure out what's the best way of uh, proceeding at this time. They don't expect to find anybody alive. Though medical services and hospitals were taxed, helping the injured remained a priority. The hospitals have reacted very well. There was one that did uh, suffer some damage uh, to a boiler earlier on uh, in the earthquake uh, emergency yesterday. They had to shut down the emergency room. I understand that has been reopened now. Uh, of course, the hospitals are asking people with uh, uh, normal checkup appointments not to come in today so that they can reserve uh, very needed space for any emergency cases. But uh, right now, in terms of uh, emergency medical services, uh, everything is functioning quite well.
Transportation needs in the Bay Area had been a growing concern for years. Now, even more so, with the serious toll the quake took on our freeways, the Bay Area transit system rose to the task and performed valiantly. There was one BART train in the tube at that time. They did get the people out safely. BART has been running on a limited schedule. As of this morning, they were still checking the tracks. BART was running from the Concord line through San Francisco, but not stopping in the downtown San Francisco stations of Montgomery, Civic Center, 16th and 24th streets because of electricity in those BART stations. And according to what I heard earlier on today, the actual architect for the BART tube indicated that, of course, the, the tube had been designed to sustain an earthquake of 8.5 or higher, and uh, it fared very well, and they're quite pleased with, uh, with the outcome. As time passed, the picture of financial loss that the Bay Area would suffer became clearer. $29 million is the uh, damage assessment at that time of yesterday. And we have uh, commercial buildings. We have 13 destroyed at open, 234 million. We have 200, 200 damaged at open, 754 million. And we have 12 million damaged to public buildings for a total of 1.3 billion as of yesterday. But I have to remember these, these, this data is coming in as we're speaking right now. The governor would pay a visit to San Francisco to survey the damage. Well, from the very beginning, all of the uh, governmental agencies have been working very cooperatively together, and they have met the uh, needs, the immediate emergency response needs. And uh, we are just delighted that the uh, president not only has sent Secretary of Transportation Samuel Skinner out here earlier in the week, but now that he has, the president has come here himself today, and on behalf of all of the people in California, on behalf of all of the local government officials, as well as the people who have been working uh, night and day to be of assistance. Uh, we want to express our deep appreciation to you, Mr. President, for coming out here to take a first-hand look and for your pledge of uh, all-out support uh, by the federal agencies as we go forward now and try to get the people's lives back to some some uh, semblance of normalcy. With damage estimates rising, it became clear that California would need help if it were to recover from the devastating loss. The President of the United States would be called upon for federal assistance. Well, I'd be glad to take some questions, but I would simply repeat that this matter is uh, of national concern. I want to be sure to properly salute the volunteer volunteer agencies and those individuals that are giving of themselves just because they care. They love somebody. Uh, and that made an impression on me today, seeing those Red Cross workers. The last stop, there were five paid Red Cross workers, and I think they said a thousand volunteers, or maybe it was a hundred, but in any event, just many-fold people working and helping out. The most touching moment, I was asked about that last stop, when this doctor, this marvelously heroic doctor and his associate, told me of pulling a kid out, having to amputate his leg to get him out of this crushed car, and then I had the opportunity to talk to the dad, uh, who was at the bedside of this six-year-old boy, and uh, I had a chance to tell him that 
By nightfall Friday, we had all become weary. So much loss, such extensive damage to Bay Area property, and little hope of finding any more survivors. The death toll had reached 65. But in spite of what common sense said, rescue workers toiled on. And early Saturday morning, the miracle we had all hoped for would happen. For nearly four days following the quake, rescue workers had searched the Cypress Structure Freeway in the macabre task of removing victims. But early Saturday morning, weary searchers got a jolt of adrenaline when someone saw a sign of movement in the rubble. The discovery, shortly after 3 in the morning, turned out to be a miracle of human strength. 57-year-old Buck Helm had survived being buried alive for nearly 90 hours in the wreckage of his compact car. This is Dr. Arnold again on Saturday Morning Live, and we're going to take a quick break right now from our normal program because we have a remarkable report from Craig Roberts. Hello, Craig. Yes, hi, Sonny. Hi, how are you doing? We're doing pretty good. I hear uh, you have some remarkable news. We have got some good news indeed. At approximately 3.08 this morning, there was a report from a Caltrans rescue worker that indicated a possibility of finding a survivor in the Cypress structure on the Nimitz in Oakland. That's amazing. And we have just received positive confirmation that indeed a survivor has been found. We have no idea how many people or the kind of condition that the individual or individuals are in, but at 28th and Cyprus, Caltrans has just confirmed the discovery of a survivor in the Nimitz Cyprus superstructure. And uh, as some of our listeners may be aware, late last night, a rescue work on the, uh, the structure was stopped because they discovered the structure began to sway, and of course they were fearful for the lives of those involved in the rescue attempt. However, early this morning they resumed work on the, uh, the structure, and again, at approximately 3.08 this morning, they discovered the possibility of a survivor that has now been confirmed, again, uh, in terms of the number or uh, condition of the individual or individuals, we're not sure of that yet. However, Caltrans is working right now to try and rescue the individual. We'll keep you updated as further information comes in. Reporting from Foster City, Craig Roberts for KFAX. Following their early morning discovery, rescue teams worked frantically to free the remaining survivor of the concrete death trap called Cyprus. Uh, hello, Craig. Yes, uh, good morning, Sonny. We'd like to confirm the news bulletin we just received moments ago regarding the possible discovery of a survivor in the I-880 uh, Cypress structure. That has been confirmed by Caltrans. It is a white male. We have no age on him. However, he has been discovered in stable condition, located at 28 in Cyprus. He was driving a silver Chevy Chevette. This was a vehicle that had not been discovered before. Apparently, late last night, Caltrans, in an effort to determine the strength of some of these support columns, attached a cable around one column and pulled on it. In doing so, that moved some things up above and opened up a hole where this Chevy Chevette was located at. So once again, we have positive confirmation of a survivor at 28 and Cyprus on the I-880 superstructure. He is a white male in stable condition and is on his way right now to Highland Hospital in Oakland. If we get any more further information, we'll keep you updated. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you, Craig. That's fantastic news. By noon, the story of Buck Helm had enveloped a nation. IMS News, Bill Clark reporting. A dramatic rescue in Oakland, California, where another survivor has been found in the freeway that was collapsed by an earthquake on Tuesday. We go to reporter Bob Brill. 
After 89 hours, police officials say they have pulled a man still alive out of the Cypress structure in the Oakland area where that giant freeway collapsed. They pancaked all those cars and everybody uh, was, most of those people were killed. They have pulled out a 57-year-old man, tentative ID. His name is Buck Helms. He's driving a silver Chevy Sprint and uh, they found him at the 28th Street area. Brill says Mr. Helms, who was reported by the Oakland mayor as waving his arm when he was removed from the freeway, has been taken to the hospital where he is listed in stable condition. And he has been transported to Highland Hospital. They, the police officials, police officials say he is alive and has a steady pulse. They are saying he is in stable condition. Yeah, they say Mr. Helms was semi-conscious. There was no verbal discussion, no talking, but Mayor Lionel Wilson of Oakland said he, he was up there at the time, and he said the man was waving his right arm. He said he was waving the one arm. Rescue work had been suspended last night because of heavy winds that caused the concrete to shift. Through it all, the tales of heroism by those who selflessly risked their lives to save others would touch us all. Lori Davis, you were one of the first paramedics on the scene following the 5.04 p.m. earthquake on October the 17th, 1989. And the one picture that I think remi remains in many of the minds of not only Northern Californians, but even people across the United States that saw those dramatic pictures of the collapse of the Cypress structure over a mile and a half with a double-deck freeway collapsed and, and uh, dozens and dozens of people injured and still more killed. That must have been an overwhelming experience to arrive on the scene and to see that firsthand. It was very overwhelming. When I first arrived, there were two police officers on the scene with myself. And I looked up, and it took about three seconds for my mind to really comprehend what I was seeing. When it did kick in, it was, it was horribly overwhelming. I uh, asked for help, and I was told that it would be a while before help would be coming to me. And uh, at that point, I felt very much alone. And it was, uh, I had to get out of my ambulance or get out of my van. I had the supervisor's van at the time. And as I got out, I had about 40 people run to me saying, help me, help me. And uh, being the only medical person on the scene there, it was very difficult. And I started sitting people down and told them to stay there, that help would be coming soon. And that's when I started looking in the area for any survivors that were there. How do you make a decision when you see, it I would seem that most people would look at a situation like that and would, would, would just go into overload because there are so many needs taking place simultaneously. I understand that screams could be heard coming out from between the double-deck freeway above. You know, that's, um, that's something that's funny, because when I got out of my van, I remember having to yell, but I don't remember hearing anything. And there was dust and smoke. But um, I think that was my body's <laughs> reaction to it, is I kind of shut out the screaming, and I was able to focus on what I had to do instead of focusing on on everything that was that was going around as far as the noise. Now, within hours after the, the collapse of the freeway following the 5.04 p.m. earthquake, uh, there was a, a tremendous rescue effort that took place. How much time did you spend there actually on the scene? I was there from about 5.07 until sometime Wednesday afternoon. And wow. uh, 
that's when I first got out of there. Offhand, do you recall how many people were actually trapped up there in the structure? That's hard to determine because there were a lot. We transported 112 people between 5.07 and midnight. Between midnight and 4, we transported three more. Thursday night, we transported a PG&E, or not a PG&E, I'm sorry, a Caltrans worker that had driven off the end of the structure. And then Saturday morning, we, we transported Mr. Helms. Rescue workers like yourself, as you mentioned, have put in a great number of hours um, under very dangerous conditions. Uh, even a minor healthy aftershock could have brought the entire structure down. I mean, there was constantly that possibility right. there. And yet, all of you just continued to work and continued to work right through Saturday morning. And, yes. and the, the miracle of finding someone still alive in Buck Helm. That was a miracle. Um, the thing with, with most of us is it became something personal. I know when I left Wednesday, I felt the urge that I had to get back. I had something that had not been completed. And uh, I wasn't going to be satisfied until I got back and felt that, I, that my purpose there was finished. Loma Prieta, a look back. The KFAX special report continues after this. A year has now passed since the great quake of 89. 67 people lost their lives. Thousands of homes were damaged, many rendered uninhabitable. Property damage totaled in the billions. It was the single most devastating disaster in the history of California. And to this date, areas nearest the epicenter remain virtually unchanged. Businesses still operate out of tents. Hundreds are still homeless. Victims of the quake we called Loma Prieta still suffering. What have we learned from all this? On the six-month anniversary of the quake, Craig Roberts talked with Ed Bortuño, staff geologist with the Bay Area Earthquake Preparedness Project. In terms of uh, what we can expect, there has been talk about uh, uh, another big shaker taking place um, along the Calaveras Fault, talk about the Hayward Fault. We've seen some activity in just the past two weeks along the Concord Fault. Um, a lot of it, I'm sure, is a guessing game in spite of the scientific efforts, but nonetheless, there are some solid numbers that are available percentage-wise as to when it will take place and where. That's right. And... Um, Simply, uh, you know, what you just got through saying, that we're having earthquakes. We're having them on the Calaveras Fault. We had a large earthquake on the San Andreas Fault at Loma Prieta. These, this is telling us something. This was not the, the case uh, 10 years ago, for instance. We were not having the numbers of significant earthquakes we're having now. Significant mean earthquakes bigger than about four and a half. Um, the rest of them are uh, almost daily occurrences. So when you start seeing earthquakes four and a half or greater, five, five and a half, that's telling us something. Now, is this a, um, uh, perhaps a, an example of what's taken place in times past? Is there any kind of pattern here in terms of increased activity of smaller fours and fives is kind of perhaps a, uh, an introduction to something bigger? Yes, it is. And that's an old myth uh, that 
the opposite of that it is an old myth. In other words, when we're having a lot of moderate quakes, it's good. It, it relieves, relieves a strain in a manageable fashion along faults, and it prevents the big one from coming. History uh, really tells us the opposite is true. When we start having f magnitude 4 and 5 earthquakes along certain parts of faults, such as the Hayward Fault, for example, uh, we haven't seen that yet, but when we do, I think those are warning signs that something bigger is coming, and that's the way it's worked historically. Now, of course, in 1906, which was the uh, accepting October 17th, was the biggest and uh, most damaging earthquake that this area has seen, at least during this century. Um, they did not have the scientific information available. Uh, there had not been the geological studies done. There had not been any kind of regulations in terms of uh, earthquake um, proof buildings, um, mm -hmm. or although I guess no building is really earthquake proof, but there's certainly things that you can do to help prevent sure. the amount of damage that will take place and loss of life. Right. And so right now is a time when we have this kind of information available to really sit up, take notice, and do everything that we can before the next one hits. Right. Was October 17th the big one? No, it was the pretty big one, but it wasn't the big one. And uh, the 06 quake, if you want a comparison, between the 1906 quake and the Loma Prieta earthquake, the uh, the Loma Prieta earthquake was about uh, one fiftieth the strength of the 06 quake. In other words, the 1906 quake released about 50 times the amount of energy that Loma Prieta released. That doesn't mean that the ground shook 50 times harder. It just means that in terms of the total energy, and that is the ground shaking, it there was 50 times more of it. Uh, a larger area was affected with Loma Prieta size shaking. So it wasn't little pockets of damage in Santa Cruz and Watsonville. It was spread out over a much larger area. So we had cities like Watsonville and other places had, had damage in 06. But in 06, we also had Berkeley and Oakland and Santa Rosa with major damage. Since last October 17th, geologists and seismic experts have recorded some 7,000 tremors here in the Bay Area. But does this mean the worst is yet to come? All right, as a follow-up question then, if we follow historical precedents then, that a series of smaller earthquakes is generally an indicator of another big one to come, um, now that we've seen essentially San Andreas do its thing, has this increased either the likelihood of a great magnitude or uh, moved up at all the schedule of when the Hayward Fault might do its thing? Yeah, it has, in fact. And uh, if the likelihood in 1988 was about 25 or 30 percent on the Hayward Fault, it's going to be higher. And in fact, Bay Area-wide, we have a more likely chance uh, for a magnitude 7 earthquake now than we did six months ago, the day before the Loma Prieta earthquake. We had about a 50% chance on October the 16th, uh, 1989. We now probably have about a 70 or 80% chance of another earthquake. Okay, in light of that, because of the October 17th quake, are geologists changing their tactics in the way they're monitoring the faults here in the Bay Area specifically? We're trying to. Uh, like everything else, these things all take huge amounts of money. But we are looking at the Hayward Fault now in a much closer fashion than we ever have in the past um, with instrumentation. And um, But, you know, there's not a lot of promise that we'll get much warning. The Loma Prieta earthquake, even though we knew it was on a fault that was likely, it still didn't give us any warning, really. It, it came, basically came out of nowhere. Uh, if if you ignore the fact that in August there was a magnitude 5 and in June of 88 there was also a magnitude 5. Um, 
those told us something, but it really only said, yeah, this is the one that's going to go, but it still didn't really narrow the time frame down. Uh, if we see a magnitude 5 earthquake along the Hayward Fault, for instance, you'll see some very nervous seismologists uh, because that would be similar to uh, the, you know, the, the earthquakes that occurred on Loma Prieta. To gain a clearer understanding of what happens on the surface during an earthquake, you first need to understand what happens below. In simple terms, uh, we're talking about um, plate movement, the theory of plate tectonics, which says that the surface of the Earth is actually constantly in motion, driven by heat from within. Large pieces of the Earth's crust, uh, actually the Pacific Plate, is the size of the Pacific Ocean. It is the Pacific Ocean, basically. And everything on the west side of the San Andreas Fault you would call the Pacific Plate. Everything on the east side of the San Andreas Fault is the North American Plate. And these things are moving north-south. The uh, Pacific Plate is moving northward. The North American Plate is moving southward. So if you imagine the epicenter of the Loma Prieta earthquake uh, at 11 miles depth, and the San Andreas Fault running right through that point, everything on the left side during the Loma Prieta earthquake, or the west side, pushed northward in 15 seconds about six feet, uh, it, and upward about two and a half feet. That averages out to about two and a half inches a year, and if only the faults moved two and a half inches each year, we'd be in much better shape, but they don't. They, the rocks along the fault zone hold strain for a while, so it builds and builds and builds, and it releases six feet in 1865, or in, uh, in 1989, um, 20 feet in 1906. So this is where earthquakes come from, from do this release of strain buildup. Do you have any predictions as to the movement on the Hayward Fault, should the big one come along the Hayward Fault in the next few well, years? Well, what we're talking about, even though it'll be, it'll be a bigger problem, it's not a bigger earthquake. All we're doing is taking a, the same magnitude quake as Loma Prieta, basically a seven, but we're moving it 60 miles closer to us. To a highly densely populated densely area. Densely populated area right in our backyard with all the lifelines that we use every day and rely on every day affected. Uh, so we could become the Watsonville of the East Bay. We're lining up Watsonville, Santa Cruz, uh, Hollister, Los Gatos, all along the fault. But now it's Berkeley, Oakland, Hayward, Union City, Fremont. Um, a dense accumulation of damage as opposed to spots of damage. And areas highly populated and areas that contain the most important arteries, freeways that we have for exactly. transportation to and from point A and point B here in the Bay Area. Historically, earthquakes have always been a part of life in Northern California. Dr. Robert Airhammer of the UC Berkeley Seismology Station comments. One of the things we find is that going back last century, in 1836, there was a, a major earthquake on the Hayward Fault Zone, the northern part of the Hayward Fault Zone, say north of San Leandro. Then in 1838, there was an earthquake roughly in the San Francisco Peninsula region on the San Andreas. And then 1868, there was another major earthquake on the Hayward Fault Zone, this time the southern part from San Leandro southward towards Hayward. And then in 1906, there's a 1906 San Francisco earthquake to name the biggest earthquakes. One of the things they've noticed is that for the 15 or 20 years preceding the 1906 earthquake, there was a fairly high number of magnitude 6 and larger earthquakes in the region. And it appears to have been an anomalously high number of earthquakes. And since 1979, we've seen a few earthquakes in magnitude 6 range in the Bay Area again. As to the chance of another major quake in this region, Dr. Urhammer revealed the sobering facts. 
uh, when you look at just the occurrence of earthquakes that we've had in the past two centuries in California in general and also specifically in the Bay Area, you can compute what the odds are for other large earthquakes to occur based on the historical record in part and based on the accumulation of strain along the fault systems. And when we do this, we find that the probability of having one or more magnitude 7 or larger earthquakes that is similar to the one that occurred last October, the probability of having one or more of those earthquakes occur within the next 30 years in the greater Bay Area is about two chances in three, or about 67%. So earthquakes are a part of California life. We can't stop them. It's difficult to predict them. So what's left? Richard Eisner, director of the Bay Area Earthquake Preparedness Project, comments. Uh, the message that we've been putting out to the general public, to local governments, businesses, church groups, is that the earthquake threat in California didn't begin in 1906, and it certainly didn't end in 1906, that we can continue to expect major quakes, such as we had in Loma Prieta, uh, through our lifetimes. And uh, we can make a difference if we prepare. It's natural for me, for you, for, for anyone uh, following October 17th to say, well, it's over with. We just want to quit hearing about this and, and get back to our day-to-day -day routines. But really, things are different now, and we should look at things differently if we're not. Right. I think all of our lives have been changed. The people who uh, had the loss of, of life and, the, and their friends and families will be impacted uh, forever. The uh, people who were disrupted and dis inconvenienced uh, who had to commute around the bay. Uh, this earthquake affected more than the 62 people who were killed or the 3,000 who were injured and hospitalized. It affected millions of people and it should have changed their lives. It should have given them a new perspective on the earthquake threat and made them much more serious and much more concerned about doing something to change the outcome of the next quake. But is earthquake preparedness really going to make a difference? I think the kinds of things we're asking people to do that, that will literally change the outcome of the next earthquake, will eliminate life loss, will eliminate injury and reduce the, the dollar loss, are the kinds of things that you should be doing in your homes. When you get into the car, you put your seatbelt on. That's a cautious, prudent thing to do. Mm -hmm. In your homes, you ought to bolt your home to the foundation and make sure the, the walls are braced properly and your cabinets are braced. Those are the prudent things to do. That's all we're asking. We're not asking for someone to change their lives radically. So it isn't really then an earthquake that kills, it's the structural damage that comes as a result of it. Right. If you're in a structurally sound building, uh, built on uh, structurally sound uh, uh, terracotta, <laughs> your, your likelihood of sustaining major damages is going to be lessened. Yes, in fact, the people who were killed in this quake were killed in buildings that we expected to collapse. Older brick buildings without any steel reinforcing older concrete structures such as the Cypress Freeway structure which we knew wasn't braced adequately. It was built in the mid-50s when we didn't know that much about concrete design for seismic loads. And uh, those buildings we knew were hazardous. We knew they were going to come down in a major quake. We were hoping to be able to get to those buildings and strengthen them, but we ran out of time. Now the, t the clock is ticking again. And the question is, are we going to run out of time again or are we going to make the commitment now to change the outcome? If we survive the last one, what about the next? The next one is not going to be as kind to us That's correct. as the last one was. And we can turn to the response by police department, the fire departments, both in the city and throughout the Bay Area, really. Mm -hmm. The response was really exemplary. Yes, I think we did extremely well. People had trained to respond to this size event. But, but... 
next time may not be the case. Next time, the police departments, the fire departments may be so overwhelmed, safety services, ambulances, things of that sort, that we are really, as you said just a second ago, really going to have to rely on our own preparedness. Yes. In order to, to ride out, perhaps minimum, the first 24 hours, it could be from your office and OES as long as three or four days. Yeah, I think what we saw again was in this earthquake it's sort of a threshold level of earthquake damage. The next quake, if it's in the core of the Bay Area, could make police and fire services victims just as well as it made homeowners victims this time around. And it reminds that me so much of the fire uh, department. I don't know which station it is, but there's a fire station in San Francisco. You can see off the Bay Shore right there mm -hmm. at Hospital Curve. It's an all-brick building. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering... <laughs> yes, well, San Francisco has something on the order of 50 fire stations, 40 of which re are going to require retrofit to bring them up to earthquake standards. San Francisco is making a commitment to do that. They passed a $46 million bond issue a couple of years ago. Uh, I wish other jurisdictions around the, this region would do the same. We've got to make the commitment now. What then should we be doing? In terms of preparation, uh, we, during the early days of the earthquake, uh, here at this station, we're referring people to uh, the white pages of their telephone book for a lot mm -hmm. of information on not only response, but, but preparation and some things that they can do. Uh, from your experiences, from what you have seen uh, firsthand, no doubt, Richard, what are some of the key things that homeowners and tenants need to do? Just perhaps a half a dozen or so. Okay. Be ready. Probably the first thing to do is just look around your home, and, and there are hazards in everyone's home. The hazards are usually bookshelves that are not bolted to the, studs, the wooden studs of the wall. They are furniture that, that uh, could overturn on children. They are uh, objects that could fall out of cabinets onto the floor, creating uh, broken glass kinds of uh, carpeting, uh, if, you be, if you will. Uh, these kinds of hazards can be eliminated, and we can, to a great extent, deal with the content hazards before the earthquake and eliminate them. Those are the simple things to do. After you've made sure the contents of your home is safe, the next thing would be to make sure your house is bolted to its foundation and that the, the walls of the house, particularly the walls in the basement, are braced. And that's, again, something that is easy to be addressed if you do it before the earthquake. If you wait till after the earthquake, you're not talking about a $200 weekend project. You're talking about maybe a $20,000 uh, job of jacking your house back up on its foundation. But you said something interesting there. I think a lot of people have been under the impression that, well, my goodness, earthquake-proofing my home is going to cost tens of thousands of dollars. Are no. you jesting when you say $200 no, in a weekend? No, I'm not. I'm not. Most people, if they have a crawl space under their home or a basement, can earthquake not proof, but make their home earthquake resistant for less than $200 worth of material and a couple of days of work. It's extremely cost-effective. Does this require a licensed contractor, or could a well-educated handyman do something like this? A well-educated handyman could do it. They could do it with the, the tools, uh, primarily hammer, nails, and saw. That's not a lot of work. Uh, if you're not able to do it yourself, there are a number of contractors who could do it. It, it tends to be then more expensive. But again, it's cost-effective. It's inexpensive investment. It protects and preserves your investment in your home. After the earthquake, if your home has fallen off its foundation, uh, there's a high probability of fire. There's a high probability that your house will have to be demolished. You'll have nothing. And uh, unless you have earthquake insurance, you're not protecting yourself. And I think bolting your foundation and bracing the walls is a better investment than earthquake insurance.
We've learned a lot about life here in earthquake country since last October 17th. Most importantly, we've learned that earthquakes in California are a part of life, a part of our lives. It's not if, but when. And through careful preparation, we can be ready for the next one, and we can survive. To find out more, contact BayRep, the Bay Area Earthquake Preparedness Project, 101 8th Street, Suite 152, Oakland, California, 94607. That's Bay Rep, 101 8th Street, Suite 152, Oakland, 94607. Call 415-893-0818. 415-893-0818. And be prepared. I was downtown in the financial district, but my fiancé was home, and he was walking down the steps, and he made it to the middle of the street and literally saw the building come down in front of him. Um, I'm just glad we're alive, but there was nothing there. Everything's gone. In just 15 seconds, our lives had changed. But the shaking had barely stopped before Northern Californians had dusted themselves off and started pulling together. Citizens directed traffic, put out fires, and risked their lives for others. Food, money, volunteers, and support poured in, sometimes given by those who could little afford to give. The Bay Area's first World Series became baseball's most unusual two weeks. Four games and no champagne. But yes, the game did go on, and with a makeshift fleet of ferry boats, BART trains, and compound ingenuity, the congested Bay Area managed to avoid gridlock. When it was all over, the mighty shift of the continental plates had brought forth more than damage. It brought forth spirit, individual spirit, civic spirit, can-do spirit, the spirit to carry on. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.